Chapter Twenty Four of The Return of Alfred by Herbert George Jenkins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. Chapter Twenty Four. Eric pronounces it spiff. Well, Willis, you see, you were wrong and I was right. Willis had just thrown open the hall door of the Grange with that smile he seemed to keep specially for Smith. Yes, sir," said Willis as he stood aside to allow Smith to enter. "'It's all very wonderful, sir. "'You'll be going away now, I suppose, Mr. Al—' "'Sir,' he corrected himself. "'Smith noted the mournful inflection of his voice. "'Yes, Willis, I'm sorry to say. "'Is Miss Marjorie in?' "'Yes, sir,' and the old man's voice was noticeably husky. "'She's in the morning-room, sir.' "'I shall always regard you as my good Samaritan,' said Smith smiling in spite of himself at the recollection of their first meeting. "'Thank you, sir,' said Willis, fumbling at the tails of his coat, a moment later producing a large coloured handkerchief, with which he proceeded to blow his nose and surreptitiously mop his eyes. "'It'll be like losing Mr. Alfred all over again, sir,' he mumbled through the folds of the handkerchief. "'And—and—' he trailed off into something between a sniff and a sob. "'Cheer up, Willis,' said Smith, touched by the old man's obvious regret that he was going. "'It's not so bad as all that.' "'It—it's terrible for us, sir,' was the melancholy response, as he continued to mop his eyes. "'Mrs. Higgs has had two goes of hysterics, and I'm sure she'll have another before the day's out.' "'I'm dreadfully sorry,' said Smith, conscious of the feebleness of the remark. "'Then there's Mrs. Death, sir.' Willis continued, as if determined to squeeze every drop of misery from the catastrophe. "'She had visions last night, sir, and she says she feels another coming on. And she can't cook when she has visions, sir, and—' He broke off huskily. "'I'm afraid my coming has upset everybody.' "'It isn't your coming, sir. It's your going. It—it—' Again his voice failed him. Deeply touched, though he was, by the old man's grief, Smith found himself at a loss how to comfort him. "'If—if if you were only coming back again, sir, if just for an hour, it would be something to look forward to. I'm sure Mrs. Death will be ill if she has another vision, sir. She says it reminds her of when her baby had pneumonia. It's terrible, sir.' The tears were now streaming down his cheeks, without any attempt on his part to arrest their flow. "'Now, Willis, you mustn't give way,' said Smith soothingly, as if speaking to a child. "'Perhaps Mr. Alfred will come back, and—' "'He won't, sir,' sobbed Willis. "'I seem to know now that he's dead. And if he did, Bob Thurkettle would kill him. He isn't as strong as you are, sir.' "'What makes you think Mr. Alfred is dead?' inquired Smith curiously. "'We feel it, sir. Me and Mrs. Death, sir.' he quavered. "'And I don't know who's to prepare Miss Marjorie's luncheon. We can't give her sardines again. She had them for breakfast.' Smith turned aside to hide a smile. "'Now, Willis, cheer up, and tell Mrs. Hicks that I will come back soon, just to see my good friends at the Grange, and we'll have tea in her pretty little sitting-room, and—' "'You will, sir. You mean it?' cried Willis, sunlight shining through his tears. 
In his eagerness he had clutched Smith by the coat-sleeve. "'I promise,' said Smith gravely, more touched by the old man's gratitude than he cared to confess, even to himself. "'Now I'll go and find Miss Marjorie. "'No, don't come,' he added, as Willis made a movement to lead the way to the morning-room. "'You go and tell Mrs. Higgs and Mrs. Death.' "'I hope it won't give Mrs. Higgs hysterics again,' he murmured, shaking his head dubiously. "'She has them very easy, sir.' Leaving Willis to his lugubrious forebodings, Smith crossed the hall to the morning-room. Opening the door softly, he entered. "'May I come in?' he inquired. Marjorie, who was standing looking out from the French windows, turned with a start. She felt herself flushing, for at that very moment she was wondering if he had already left Little Bilstead, or if he would go without calling. From Eric she had received a full, true and particular account of the dramatic arrival of Sir John Hildreth and his sister, with old Bass. "'I've come to say good-bye,' continued Smith. "'Mr. Hildreth,' she said gravely, as she extended her hand. How does one apologize when one is almost too humiliated to think of—of—' "'One doesn't,' he smiled. "'Please don't be magnanimous,' she begged, as she dropped into a chair, motioning him to another. "'I thought I shouldn't have the courage to meet you again,' she said. "'And you have?' "'Yes, but—' she paused. "'I gave you no option,' he suggested. I could scarcely run away, could I? she interrogated. You might have tried, he suggested with a smile, although I warn you I should have given chase. Please don't, she said, gazing at the point of a dainty bronze shoe with the air of one who finds it difficult to explain. I am very much ashamed of myself. I ought to have known. Why? Oh, there were a lot of things. Her voice was now quite friendly, he decided. It seemed to have lost that quality of well-bred indifference that had always so piqued him in the past. "'You must think me a horrible prig!' She looked up suddenly, and gazed straight into his eyes. "'Shall we agree to let bygones be bygones?' he suggested, and begin afresh. She shook her head with a slow but decided air. "'That's impossible, I'm afraid,' she said. "'Why impossible?' when I was quite a tiny thing. There was the ghost of a smile as her eyes remained fixed upon her shoe-tip. I remember, if ever I had been naughty, I would never allow myself to be forgiven, until I had done... She paused. Penance? he suggested. She nodded. Well, why not do penance now? he suggested eagerly. Again she shook her head, with the same air of decision. It had to be something that satisfied me, something I hated doing, and which hurt. "'But surely, if I say it doesn't matter,' he began, when she interrupted him. "'That wouldn't make any difference,' she insisted. "'I suppose it's conscience, and I require absolution.' "'But I give it, full measure and brimming over,' he said quickly. "'Surely that ends it.' "'None but a priest can grant absolution,' she said gravely. Her eyes reproached him. Let's send for one, he smiled. I know I must seem ridiculous, she said, a slight flush colouring her cheeks, which seemed to him unusually pale. But I can't explain. Will you answer me one question, quite frankly and honestly? he asked, 
watching her delicately tapered fingers as they trifled with a jade ornament hung by a black ribbon from her neck. She hesitated for a moment, then looked straight into his eyes. "'Yes, I will. If it hadn't been for—for what you thought, do you think we should have been friends?' He was conscious that his heart was pumping with a quite unnecessary amount of vigour. "'Yes, I think we should.' Her eyes fell again, and her flush deepened. "'Nero liked you, and Eric,' she continued with an obvious effort. "'And I always like the people they like.' "'After all, you had to go upon the evidence you possessed,' he suggested, "'and everybody recognised me as Alfred Warren.' "'But I should have known.' There was in her tone the persistence of a child who refuses to be comforted. There was a prolonged silence. Smith was cudgelling his brains for something that would help her to modify the harsh judgment into which she had entered against herself. "'I think I owe you an explanation also,' he said at length, noting her distress. "'I think it is I who am really to blame. If I hadn't descended upon you all in the way I did, there would have been no misunderstanding.' She shook her head for the third time. "'It all came about in a very curious way,' he continued. "'My uncle, who was a splendid old fellow, but a bit volcanic, and I had a difference of opinion about the subject of noses.' He noticed the suggestion of a furrow between her brows, as she continued to gaze at the point of her shoe. "'He had selected a wife for me, and somehow we didn't seem to see quite eye to eye, or perhaps I should say, nez à nez. You see, it crinkled when she laughed. She looked up suddenly, a startled expression in her eyes. Then, at the quizzical expression on his face, she smiled involuntarily. My uncle and I had an argument, which developed into something more serious. He practically ordered me to marry her. I expostulated that I could never live down those crinkles. I'm afraid I behaved rather badly by treating the whole matter with unnecessary flippancy. You see, her estates bordered on ours and my uncle was anxious to link them together. He paused for a second, but at a little nod from her he continued. The upshot of it was that he cut me off with a shilling, and told me to go to the devil, so— You came to little Bilstead, she interrupted demurely, without raising her eyes. At that moment he decided she was prettier than he had ever remembered to have seen her. Perhaps it would be more accurate to say that fate— and the railway strike landed me here, he continued, and— But was it necessary to change your name? she queried, leaning forward slightly. My uncle rather rubbed it in about going to the dogs, and dragging the family name with me. I am afraid I must have got a little short-tempered. I told him that I would never use the name of Hildreth again until I had his permission, and the next morning in the bath I christened myself James Smith. You see, I enlisted under that name— Private Darrell Hildreth didn't seem to sound quite right somehow, when I wanted to stay in the ranks. And that's all there is to tell, he concluded. For nearly a minute there was silence. Her gaze was concentrated upon the point of her shoe. I came to say good-bye, he said, finding the silence embarrassing. She continued to play with the jade ornament she had worn the first time he saw her. You must be glad. She did not look up. "'I'm sorry,' he said. "'I've rather enjoyed it all. "'And—and—' she began, then paused. "'I was sorry about yesterday,' 
he said gravely, interpreting her thoughts. But it was unavoidable. I ran down to see him this morning, he added. But he had gone. He realizes that I am not Alfred Warren. Again there was a period of silence. There seemed nothing more to be said. She refused to be forgiven, and it now remained for him only to make his adieu, return to the vicarage, and prepare for the journey west. Suddenly he had an inspiration. "'Will you take me to say good-bye to Nero?' he asked. She rose immediately, then paused half-way towards the window. "'Only four lumps at the outside,' she warned. "'But this is a parting,' he pleaded. "'We may never meet again, and, because you won't be friends, you surely won't come between Nero and me.' Without a word she passed out through the French windows, and across the lawn, in the direction of the stables. From behind a clump of holly, Eric watched the scene, speculating as to his chances of bowling practice. At the sight of Marjorie and a sugar-man approaching, Nero became almost frantic with excitement. He blew through his lips in an ecstasy of anticipation. Marjorie called it purring, stretching his shapely neck over the half-door of his loose box to its utmost limit. The sight of Smith, thrusting his hand into his pocket, caused Nero to add to the purr a soft whinny of joy. His sugar-man had not only come to see him, but had brought with him those white cubes of joy without which life would lose much of its attractiveness. "'Nero, you must be good,' admonished Marjorie, as she followed his silky neck, whilst Smith extended a hand on which lay four of the largest lumps of sugar he had been able to steal from Janet's store at the vicarage. As he munched the crisp morsels, there was an expression in Nero's eyes which told of perfect content. Was he not in the presence of his beloved mistress, with whom he had such glorious gallops, stopping at nothing and caring for nobody? Was there not with her his sugar-man, in whose pockets the white cubes grew, as he had never known them to grow elsewhere? As the last morsel disappeared, Nero stretched out a peremptory head toward Smith. He was ready for more. "'Don't you think it's a little unfair to Nero?' Smith was saying. "'Unfair to Nero?' she repeated, not following the line of his thoughts. "'Not to allow yourself to be forgiven,' he smiled. "'I mustn't give you any more, old fellow,' he said, as Nero manifested impatience at the neglect of so obvious a hint. "'I didn't mean to say I wouldn't be forgiven,' she said, conscious that once more she was colouring beneath his steady gaze. What I meant was, I cannot forgive myself. In the meantime, Nero must go without sugar, he suggested. I don't see... Nero! she broke off. You wicked person! Impatient at the lack of response to his clearly expressed wishes for more sugar, Nero had caught Smith's coat-sleeve between his teeth, and was shaking it as a dog shakes a rat. At the smart pat on the side of his head which Marjorie administered, he dropped the coat-sleeve and turned upon her a pair of reproachful eyes. He hated being corrected at any time, but before his sugar-man. "'You shouldn't be naughty,' she said. Then, drawing his head towards her and rubbing her face against it, she added, "'You must behave, Nero, dear.' For a second he allowed himself to be caressed. Suddenly he started from the gently restraining hand of his mistress. There, piled up in the sugar-man's hand, was more white bliss than he ever remembered to have seen before. He craned forward, but the tempting pile was just out of reach. The sugar-man was looking at his mistress. Why didn't he come nearer? 
the top of the door hurt still he must get that snowy mount suddenly the mount came within his reach the interrogation in the sugar man's eyes which nero had not observed had been answered with a little nod and he was crunching more sugar at once than he had ever crunched before in his life can't you see nero asking you what has become of me smith inquired as he watched the obvious enjoyment with which his largesse was being eaten nero cannot always have his own way she retorted with a lightness she was not feeling think of willis unhappy and mrs hicks having hysterics and mrs death indulging in visions whatever do you mean she cried with puckered brows he explained the allusion but my not being able to forgive myself will not produce all those catastrophes she protested it will he replied solemnly then there's eric's bowling practice oh she cried startled her face dyed suddenly crimson she turned aside and her eyes dropped don't you think we might be friends he said gently bending towards her she did not reply still keeping her head turned from him i stayed on because i he paused wanted to get to know you better he added nero watched the pair with speculative eye miraculously a second mound of white sweetness had taken the place of the first here indeed was a king among men you will try and forgive yourself he persisted i you mustn't give nero another piece she cried so please come away on condition that it is to the pine wood he said as he produced two more lumps of sugar for nero i must talk to you and i think the pines will help she turned and he followed leaving nero in the enjoyment of the last of janet's sugar in silence they recrossed the lawn eric dodging to cover just in time a few minutes later with a little sigh of content marjorie sank down upon the carpet of pine needles smith dropping beside her he made no effort to break the silence but continued to gaze steadily at the profile she turned towards him as she allowed the pine needles to sift through her fingers his silence puzzled her why had she come to the pine wood what was he thinking was he going that day or would he remain on until the morrow i want to tell you something he said at length she looked up quickly a startled look in her eyes i've just heard that alfred warren was killed at neuve chapelle for several minutes there was silence instinctively her thoughts had flown to south africa where a widow would weep for an only son he made good said smith presently i'm glad she said simply poor grey lady she added grey lady he queried i always call lady warren grey lady she said with a sad little smile tell me about her when nearly half an hour later she concluded with the words She's the most beautiful old lady I've ever known. Smith felt something more than a passing compassion for the mother who had suffered so much because of an erring son. And now I want to tell you something, she said, after another long silence, taking up another handful of needles and allowing them to cascade back to their mother carpet. She paused. Then, as he made no response, she continued, I, I tried to dislike you. She paused again the pine-needle slipping silently through her fingers. "'I think,' she continued, as she took another handful, "'I think I always knew in my—' "'Really,' 
that you were not Mr. Warren, but I, I forced myself to dislike you. Yes, he said gently, as she hesitated, giving him a swift look from under her lashes. Mr. Warren always frightened me, and, and you, I wasn't frightened of you. The words came with a rush, as if they had forced themselves out against her will. Marjorie, he said gently, taking the hand from which the last pine needle had fallen. Please! There was genuine distress in her voice, and in the eyes she turned on him there were tears, pendulous upon the lower lids. Are you going to punish us all? Oh, please don't! she murmured, as one tear lost its balance and tumbled down her cheek. Don't you think you might try and learn to like me a little for myself? I try frightfully hard to deserve it, and I don't mind how long I wait. His voice shook slightly. There was a pause. His instinct was to take her in his arms. She looked so pathetic, so distressed. You, you don't understand, she murmured. You would always remember. I should remember only one thing, Marjorie, he said. I want you, and, and, she had not withdrawn her hand. Gently he drew her towards him, and a moment later all danger to Eric's cricket practice was over. You'll never think of it, she whispered, a few minutes later. Never, he vowed. I, I just wouldn't let myself, she continued, and once I hit Nero because he, oh! A soft muzzle had been thrust between their heads. Nero, she cried, sitting up straight, her hands flying to her disordered hair. You wicked person! Who let you out? But Nero was too busy nuzzling Smith's pockets to explain that he represented Eric's masterstroke of diplomacy. Suddenly there came a whoop from behind them. I say, isn't it spiff? cried an ecstatic voice, and a red head appeared from behind a tree. It'll be murder if I catch you, laughed Smith making a movement in the direction of the red blob, where it had disappeared, and once more the pine wood resumed its sombre colouring of greys and greens and browns. The End End of The Return of Alfred by Herbert George Jenkins Read by Anna Simon, 2011